Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. We're talking golf today. I'll get into that in just a little bit. Ralph, how much, how much fun has the NCAA tournament been to you? Huh? Has this been a, a pretty good time to watch? Well, Mac, I think everybody out there, you know, had their brackets and they thought that the big boys, Kentucky and Arizona, all those guys would be in the Final Four somewhere. But, you know, I read an article and got a, a text from Dick Vitale. He said there would be eight upsets in the Final Four. Now, I don't know if it's totally been eight, but Dick might know his stuff, right? So, yeah, I think St. so. St. Peter's as run is crazy, right? I mean, how do you right. do that? And you beat the big Goliaths, Kentucky, and all these other people that had gotten beaten. But it's been fun to watch. I mean, everybody loves March Madness, right? Mm -hmm. And the first couple games, okay, is a law, but then you get one upset there. But once you get to the second round, it becomes a frenzy. You see why all the fans love March Madness, and it's a great time of year. And it's it's also the time when a coach, like Coach Holloway of St. Peter's, makes a move, and he goes from 260000 a year, still a lot of coin, but now he gets the Seton Hall job, and all of a sudden he's into the – the other neighborhood, and the echelon right? of, yeah, financial <laughs> pay. I mean, that, that's you know that. I mean, you got to take that, right? So, oh yeah. I mean, St. Peter's can't match what they can give him a seat in hall, obviously. Mm -hmm. But think about it, Mac. He he did something special there that will last forever. Absolutely. And hopefully, that school can, you know, get back to that at some point in time and hire a coach that would be somewhat like him. But yeah. he's one of a kind guy, and you can just see it on the court. And obviously it, it was expressed through his players that played for him there and won those games. But uh, now, now telltale now, what's he going to do with Seton Hall? Cause I don't think you can duplicate that at Seton Hall. You, you got to step up your yeah. game at Seton Hall, but yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Taking his whole staff and everything. And then look, because when you look back into history in the NCAA tournament, his, look what Brad Stevens did Absolutely. and look, and look what, what happened to him, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, jumping about, but at, but I mean, he just turned around that program and all of a sudden the Celtics came calling. Celtics came calling, but Mike, he, he got fired. He never won at the Celtics, never won a championship. He thought he could, but, you know, younger guys, right. hired him as well. But, I mean, he, he's a great, amazing guy at what he's done, but it doesn't always equate to the next level. Ralph, we celebrated a birthday this past weekend, and I think it's only fitting that we talk about the Big Whistle. Huh? Happy birthday, Big Whistle. Happy 80th birthday, Terry Holland. I mean, um, I mean I've been seeing him briefly around the Charlottesville area, but uh, – uh, you're doing okay and hanging in there, but you know, <clears throat> it's amazing. A, a, a lot of people in my world, Mac, is now in their 80s from Coach yeah. Holland, Miss Holland, yeah. my mom and dad, Coach Berge. Uh, and it's very surreal for me just to be and have them around and, and, and enjoy life with them, you know, as they get older. What's the one lesson that Terry Holland taught you that you still remember to this day? Uh, I mean, there's many lessons, but I mm -hmm. can recall one that's very vivid in my senior year when I came back. He sent me in the office and I said, you know, coach, I don't think everybody's working as hard as I am. You know, I'm when I came back to win the national title. Mm -hmm. And he said, Ralph, you remember when you were the freshman and you were there? I said, well, you got to bring this like lamp and rake and those guys did with me. You got to go get the freshman and bring them in because they're going to have to play for us. But I mean, you could be dominant, but you got to bring the guys with you and play. So very surreal because 
you know, I was last on the three mile run every time or whatever. You got to show out <laughs> a little bit. When I said, coach, I can't run three miles, but I'm going to beat him up down the court. But he, I mean, he has so many things that he taught me, you know, off the court. Uh, basketball was just fun. I could play it, but the things off the court were very amazing. Yeah, great stuff. Well, today, Steve Sands of the Golf Channel. We talked Tiger, Nicholas, Phil, and the Masters. All of that coming up with Steve Sands. That's next. This is the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. I think it's the greatest or the largest fall from grace in the history of sports. And now I think it's the greatest comeback in the history of sports. Tiger Woods is literally the greatest player of his generation, perhaps the greatest player of all time. Before we rub the anointing oil all over the greatest comeback in the history of sports phrase, I think it's an amazing comeback, but until he wins a major, I don't think even Tiger will tell you that he's fully back. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome in Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. And Ralph and I welcome uh, truly, Ralph, one of the great guys in the business for a lot of reasons, not only on camera and the job he does, but all that he represents, and he's in the, the Greater Washington Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. He's been with the Golf Channel since 01. He's in San Antonio as we speak, and uh, it is Masters Week. And so, you know, this is a, a great time to catch up with Steve because of Masters Week and all the, the news that centers around that. But, Ralph, this guy's a pretty big basketball guy, and he follows Maryland basketball. Oh, and he wow. listed Len Bias as one of his five greatest and somehow he left out this kid from Virginia, but we'll we'll get into that. See, Steve, I heard the interview. You listed your five <laughs> top college basketball players. Do you remember that interview last spring? I do, I do. It pains me as a Maryland fan, as a diehard Terp. It pains me to know that Ralph Sampson is actually a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, Ralph, I've hated you my whole life. This is breaking my heart here. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sorry I broke your heart, but, you know, it's what happens when you're a Turk friend. But yeah. I, 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 my, you, you're a better basketball player or golfer. Which one? Because, you know, you, you didn't – I didn't get a chance to play against you, so that, that the jury stirred out on that one, right? You know, am I am I allowed to say my second favorite team is Chaminade, or should I stay with uh, you? Can, you can say that. You can say that. I see. Is that allowed? 
Is that allowed? You can say that, but my, my last game of U-Haul, I beat Maryland. So we we, we were good. Yes, you and did. They had Lynn By- and they had Lynn Byers on that team. Yeah, old, you know, Leonard Leonard could play, but he, he never really won a lot of uh, right. things that were <laughs> Leonard could play. Uh, Ralph, the great thing about Steve is he did really everything the right way. He was a Washington, D.C. guy, went to Woodward High School, ended up at Colorado State, and uh, wanted to be a writer actually uh, in Washington. Turned out that a professor told him, "Hey, you got to do TV," and it, and it took off. And he he's been in Utica, New York, Richmond. He was with Channel Twelve from ninety four to ninety seven. So when the, so the Golf Channel launches in ninety five. How did right. how did you get the Golf Channel gig? How did you get it? All that means is I'm old, but uh, <laughs> oh. so I was in when I was in Richmond. I was in Richmond from ninety four to ninety seven. Um, and I was doing a bunch of stuff there. And Channel 12 was owned by Jefferson Pilot. Yeah. Uh, Ralph remembers Jefferson Pilot. Remember the Jefferson Pilot game of the week and ACC football, mm-hmm. basketball, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And I uh, started doing a little and called some, uh, you know, some basketball on the radio for University of Richmond. And they were real good with Dick Tarrant, those guys. And uh, I got lucky enough to get a job down in Orlando. Uh, and I was doing all kinds of things. But, you know, the, the magic uh, were just getting going in Orlando. Uh, Florida football, mm-hmm. Florida State. Uh, there was a lot going on there. And then about three years into that, uh, I would have stayed in Richmond. Uh, I love Richmond, but it just, you kind of needed to move on at that point. Um, I was working with a guy named Ben Hamlin at Channel 12 in Richmond. He yep, was fabulous. Yep, great. Uh, he, he was going nowhere, and nor should he have been, because um, he was that great there. And it was his time to go. So I went down to Orlando. I was there for three years. And then I got a random call uh, just asking if I'd you know, be interested in doing some golf. And I love golf. Uh, I never played it. Uh, <laughs> as a kid. Growing up in the city, I never played it as a kid. And then they were like, you know, we would love to have you, you know, come try out and do some golf stuff for us on TV. So I was like, okay. And I remember my mom and dad at the time, golf channel, if you guys remember, because we're all around the same age. Um, if you remember, you know, back then, you know, HTS and, and those kinds of things were just getting going. But most yeah. people our age found out their sports uh, from the nightly news, like, you know, George Michael channel four in DC or whoever you were, uh, whatever city you're in. Uh, but things were going the other way. They were going towards local cable and regional cable and, and those kinds of things. Uh, and I, I remember talking to my mom and dad and my dad's like, you can't take that job. What's the golf channel? Who's the golf channel? And, and I said, no, I'm with you on that. Except the thing that, that struck me the most was, and I remember this in the interview with the guy who founded the golf channel, Whatever you did was the most important thing that day on the network. It wasn't like you were going to get bumped if there was a, a shooting or a fire or bad weather or a hurricane or anything like that. Sports mattered in local TV, but it was starting to wane because those regional sports networks were starting to take off. And I, I remember my dad's like, I don't know if I would do that or not. So I explained it to my mom and dad, literally in their living room. And they're like, yeah, I think you ought to go for that. Wow. And, I, and I thought, that's what I'm thinking. I just wanted some, you know, confirmation. I talked about it with my wife. I talked to with my folks, uh, some people in the business, and uh, I took it, and, uh, and it, it's worked out well. I got very, very lucky. Well, the evolution of the Golf Channel, which means like all—I mean, all these other streaming and all these other services, you know, have evolved, right? I mean, like we got more yeah. channels that we know what to do with right now. Some of them are good, and some of them are bad. But the the, the wife says okay, the mom and dad says okay. I'm sure you moved from Richmond to Florida, which is not a bad move from a, no. from a, from a location standpoint, but you didn't know much about golf at right. that point. So how did you go back and learn the golf game or how did it even announce the golf game from the golf channel? 
You know, it's a, it's a great question, Rob. I, I've, I've told this to a lot of young broadcasters uh, who have reached out to me over the years about doing golf. The, the one thing that's different about golf than the other sports is, you know, we all played football and basketball and baseball, whatever your sport is in high school. You know, if you were good enough to play in college or professional like you, it's a completely different level. But we all pretty much played sports growing up. Uh, if you're a sportscaster, obviously you did something to some level. And golfers watch golf like when I watch basketball you know I know the game a little bit uh when I watch football same kind of thing Mm -hmm. but golfers play and they watch so there's a nuance to it there's there's a language to it there's an expectation from the audience that you have to know the game you know everybody knows that Al Michaels isn't running across and and running a seam route you know Mm -hmm. he's just a play-by-play guy doing football but golfers feel like we are great golfers because we're announcing golf. So there's a little bit of a higher expectation when it comes to golf. So I was told by Scott Van Pelt, who's at ESPN. You guys know him, I'm sure. Very well. Scott Van Pelt's a good friend of mine. And Scott left the golf channel to go to ESPN. I left my job to go to the golf channel. And Scott, I remember sitting down with Scott having a beer with him and saying, listen, You've got to know the game. You've got to immerse yourself in the game, in the rules of the sport, in the language. You've got to know the difference between a chip and a pitch. You've got to know the difference between the fringe and the apron. You've got to know the difference between the rough and the first cut. You've got to know the difference between all those things because the people who watch golf are golfers. Now, there's some people kind of taking a nap on the sure. weekend. Kind of like, <laughs> but, but golfers watch. Like, in other words, when I hear someone yell spider wide banana in a, in a two zone, you know, deep and all these kinds of things, I kind of know what that is, but not really. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of football lingo, basketball, the same kind of thing. You know, you're talking about a high, low and all kinds of, you know, a, a screen roll, those kinds of things. I kind of, you know, we know that language, but it really doesn't matter. In golf, it matters, Ralph. And you've just got to immerse yourself in the sport, study it, uh, get to know the guys, get to know the caddies, get to know the officials, get to know the tournament directors. And just kind of throw yourself deep into the sport. Uh, unlike the other, you have to know the other sports. Listen, man, you know, I do speed skating in the Olympics or something like that. You got to immerse yourself in it. But golf day in, day out, Ralph, the expectation from the fan or the expectation from the viewer is really high because they play the sport they're watching. We know none of us play basketball or football anymore, not at our age. Well, maybe you right. do, Ralph, but mm-hmm. I, I don't anymore. And it's just it's just different. Golf is just a different type of sport because everybody plays it, hopefully, as long as they can. Ralph, and I think that's why Steve is so respected, too. And, and naturally, I spend a lot of time at the Golf Channel. We love it. But when Steve does an interview, and we're going to get into to some of those interviews that he's done through the years, but when Steve actually does an interview, you are so well-respected that you get a lot out of the pros you talk to, not only because you know the game, but you know them. And you now you know their emotions or you know what's, you know, the business of golf or what they're immersed in. And that's a real credit to you that you took that on. And now that it's like you've been doing it all your life. Well, you're very kind. I, I, I am a big believer, you know, whether I'm in the booth or the tower or down on the ground talking to guys doing interviews, guys. I'm a big believer. And Ralph, you know this you know, better than anybody. To me, a sportscaster or anybody else who's doing interviews is only as smart as the person they're speaking to. And you, you have to earn their respect. You have to earn their trust. Um, and if you don't go out of your way to get into their world and have them, they, they don't come to your world. You have to go to their world. You have to gain their trust. You have to gain their respect. 
Uh, and it takes time. You got to put a lot of effort in. And I remember one time, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I was in Charlotte, uh, early 2000s, uh, when it used to be the Wachovia Championship. It is now the Wells Fargo Championship. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, this year it's being played outside of D.C. because the President's Cup is going to be later this year at Quail Hollow in Charlotte. But anyway, so Tiger used to play that event every year. And Tiger was famous every every week on, P, on the PGA Tour. He would always want the first tee time on Wednesday morning for the Pro-Am, like 6.50 or 6.40, right at sunlight, because <laughs> he wanted to play as fast as he could. And he also wanted to get his work in before the crowd became crazy, that kind of thing. And I remember being on the first tee at Quail Hollow in Charlotte. It was 6.40 in the morning. And I remember Tiger looking at me, and I, and I was just getting to know him. And, and I knew that you've got to get to know you know, these guys, especially Tiger at that time in his career. And I remember him looking sideways at me and saying, what are you doing here? And there's like nobody there. There's <laughs> dew on the ground. There's like five people around, right. except, except for the family of the people who were playing in his pro-am. He's like, what are you doing here? And I remember, I don't know why I said it, but I looked at him and I said, hey, man, if you're working, then we should be working. And, you know, I, I think it's important to be out here. And I remember walking inside the ropes, probably three, four, five holes with him, getting to know him and not just golf wise, talking about life and family and politics and sports and you name it. And just getting to know these guys. I just think it's really important that, you know, people who do what we do for a living uh, get to know the subject they're covering, but also remember that people play it, people watch it and people play it. And, you got to get to know the guys or, or the women, whatever your sport, whatever you're covering. And, and I think it's almost like a lost art these days with cell phones and social media oh, to yeah. not look people eye to eye. You know, like I joke about this with my sons all the time. Like, have you ever looked at a girl and, and asked her, can I buy you a drink? Or do you just, <laughs> do you just, do you just text them from across the bar? <laughs> you got you to get to know people. And that's in our business. It's, it's a people business. So it's, it's important to, earn their trust and earn their respect. Ralph, when you were playing, I'm sure you had, had back and forth with plenty of people who were covering the game, but you respected the people who worked and you guys always know who work and right. who work hard. And, I, and I've always thought that's the most important thing is, is to get to know the people, get to know the subject very well, and then take it from there. I think the athletes are better now than they were a generation ago. So I would say probably that Warriors team that won 70-plus games, but, man, watching Jordan just never allowing his team to lose during that run, I don't know. It'd be awfully tough to go away from that bull squad that won 72 games, I think. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Center Court Winner's Circle Network and part of the NBC Sports Group and the lead anchor golf lead broadcaster, uh, Steve Sands, who's really moved up the ladder and does such an outstanding job. Last segment, of course, Ralph, we were talking Tiger and Ralph moved the needle. As far as college basketball, there's no doubt. Uh, Tiger certainly has moved the needle. What has been your experience with Tiger and the ability to cover one of the most heralded uh, and one of the most watched athletes that we've ever seen in our time. Oh, I, I think honestly, and I don't mean this humbly. It, it's just blind luck. When you, when you do, when you're a sportscaster and you have the ability to be around an event uh, or around a person who is as big as tiger, uh, that's just luck uh, on timing uh, just happens to be the sport you're covering. You know, look, 
when I was watching Ralph Sampson play at UVA, I remember thinking this guy is a freak show. How great would it be? How great would it be to be set, sitting on the sidelines with a headset and calling this guy's games? Cause mm. that's how great Ralph was. Same thing with tiger. You know, I, I, I just think that sometimes timing works out and being around him, uh, being around an event that he's in and being around an event when he's not in it, in his era, the difference between when he's playing and when he's not playing is just staggering. Uh, the energy, uh, the, the, the response from the fans, um, the, the attention that he brings uh, to an event, the guy is so famous. And when he was really going, he's, he's obviously famous now, but when he was at his height, it, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I remember I was doing the NBA when, when Michael was kind of finishing up his career, uh, his greatness. Uh, in Chicago. And I remember thinking, man, what's it like to be around them? We kind of got that glimpse when we saw a little bit of the last dance, kind of got that glimpse a little bit when we saw that documentary on the Olympics, when they went over to Barcelona in 92. That's what Tiger was like. And and being around him um, and just feeling that energy, man, it was just incredible uh, timing uh, that you would be involved in golf and this guy would be coming up the ranks. It's just, you can't make it up. Um, I think a lot of us in sports, uh, or even if you're not a sports fan, just an enter- a fan of entertainment, a fan of greatness, a, fr- a fan of excellence mm-hmm. uh, on the on the course itself. Um, I've never seen anybody impact uh, a sport in a, a larger way than Tiger impacted golf. It, it's been a remarkable run for him and the sport. I went to one event in Ohio when they, I guess he was there. It was like, I got to, Mike, I got to walk. I gotta, I'm going to walk the course and follow Tiger. And everybody just like a wave of people. I'm like, I'm not walking that far. You know, I watch him like two holes, but I, I don't want to walk that far to see him walk and hit a ball. But, you know, it was amazing for me to watch. But I'm sure as a broadcaster, you're like, wow, this is like history in the making. And even if he plays anymore, or at the level, Nick, and we all get older and you, your level goes down, but you can play golf, you know, for the rest of your life. And right. I think most people know that. And you alluded to earlier that people watch it intensely because they think they can get something from golf that they can put in their own game, right? One of the reasons the Golf Channel, Ralph, became such a success is because, and, you know, you alluded to it earlier, Rob, that the reason that there is an NBA TV, an NFL network, an MLB, right. NHL, a tennis channel is because – Joe Gibbs, not the Joe Gibbs, the DC, uh, the, the skins right. coach, Rest but Joe coach. Gibbs, the cable entrepreneur, mm-hmm. he invented, you know, the golf channel, uh, you know, his own mind. He, he started all of that because people think when they watch golf, you know what, I'm going to go take that to the putting green. I'm going to go right, bring right. that to the ring. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, T- Tiger Woods is out there playing a different, same sport, totally different game, man. Right. These guys on the PGA tour can go. And, and by the way, Far be it for me to judge. I mean, I'm 5'11", 180. But I would think golf is a lot easier to watch when you're seven feet tall, when you've got nine <laughs> people deep and, t- and you're trained. People are trying to watch Tiger. Hopefully you were standing about nine deep, Ralph, but not in front. So little guy, you know, for every center, there's got to be a point guard, Ralph. So right. hopefully, uh, hopefully you were standing behind and watching. But when, when you watch, Ralph, I'm curious, from one great athlete to another, you know, whether you were with, when you were with the Rockets in the, in the league or when you were playing in college at UVA, do you have a greater appreciation for what Tiger 
did and has done than someone who's just a normal person like me? Or do you watch it and are, are you just in awe? I'm in awe of the mentality of that athlete, not the sport that they play, but how does he prepare? I mean, you said he got up at 6.30 in the morning. Well, I used to work out in the gym when I played in the NBA. And when I, my game was off, I'd be in the weight room at 6.30. I'm the first player to bring weights into a NBA arena, right? <laughs> so big time weight guy at Virginia. But when I watch Tiger, how, how, do you, how do you get there? And then how do you stay there? LeBron James, how do you get there? How do you stay there? Michael Jordan, Matt John, Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all those people that play at a high level. Because, you know, I can play the game, but you got to be able to stay at the top of your game. And it's amazing to watch those guys and see Tiger practice. You know, I mean, he practiced, he lifts weights, all the stories that I've heard and seen, he made that his lifestyle. And, and, and the game was easy for him in some, in some extent, right? And then when he had to have a big shot or a big play, he's already ready to go. So I, I love the intensity of the sport. Steve, you, you will know this story too. And I was going to ask you an Arnold Palmer question, but remember yeah, the story about Jack at a tournament early on the 60s, getting to know Arnold, didn't know who he was. And here was this guy practicing in the rain and right. hitting balls. And Jack asked somebody, who is that guy? And somebody said, that's your that's your number one challenger right there. That's Arnold Palmer. Right. And, and so Jack realized at that time, right, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Jack realize I better be practicing in the rain, right? Yeah. I, I think I, I've, I've always, I'm enamored by greatness in mm -hmm. sports. I mean, all right. I do is watch sports. I'm enamored by greatness in sports and, and in, in golf, not that golf is any different. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Muhammad Ali, you know, all these guys who are the greatest of the greats. They're all pretty much the same. You can never convince me that in the same era, if you if you put a juxtaposition mm -hmm. of, of Tiger and Phil, you can't tell me that Tiger is more talented than Phil. Phil right. is every bit as talented. Right. What makes the difference between the two of them? And Phil is you know, a top 10, 11 player in the history of the sport, Tigers one or two. Mm -hmm. And the difference to me is not talent. The difference is the collarbones up, the, right. the mentality, the mental strength, uh, the fortitude, the, the, the attitude. Um, I just think that what separated Tiger from everybody else in his peer group was his mind. I, he, he, Ernie else, David Duvall, VJ Singh, Phil Mickelson. These guys are incredible, world-class athletes. Mm -hmm. Tiger was better. And I don't think Tiger was more talented in golf. I just think he was mentally tougher. And I think that guys today understand watching their hero, Tiger, and all the other older guys who are still playing, they understand the difference is maybe not so much skill as opposed to just it's right here. Right. These guys are so mentally tough and, and tiger was at the head of his class jack nicholas never thought he was ever going to miss a putt in his life ever <laughs> and he and he didn't <laughs> and he seemingly <laughs> never did and and that's to me that's the difference between the greats of the great you can't tell me that that aaron Rodgers and tom brady you can't tell me i mean is tom brady better than aaron Rodgers? I mean, is Tom Brady, is he a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers? You, know, you can't tell me that. You can't convince right. me. Is Charles Barkley, because he never won an NBA title, not one of the greatest players ever? I mean, like, you can't, you can't tell me the difference is winning and losing. Right. To me, in golf, the difference between winning and losing is not so much talent as it is in golf, per se, not the other sports. 
But in golf, the difference to me is the mindset. And nobody had a better mind than Tiger Woods. His golf acumen was incredible. His mental toughness was unmatched. Well, I mean, golf is an individual sport. Yeah. Tennis, it said you play doubles as an individual sport. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But I think those two sports, or any individual sport, you, you got to be more mentally tougher than a team sport. I mean, Tom yeah. Brady makes a pass. That guy's got to catch it. And they got to run yeah. the correct route. But the issue with that is when you come back to huddle and you mess up, Tom Brady's going to get in your stuff. <laughs> Michael Jordan will get in your stuff, right? The greats say, like, look, dude, you, you got to make that catch. You know, yeah. I got to make this pass. So that, that becomes the leader. And you see Tom Brady going on the sideline after most quarterbacks make a pass yeah. or a catch. He's looking at the play on the iPad instead of sitting there, like, put a hat on and hanging out. Hey, you know, I mean, you can see the difference, uh, you know, every day. And that's why he's, that's why he's so good. Golf is, golf is on you. And, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. you and your caddy out there, and you have to execute the shot. You have to game plan it yourself. There's no coaches taking 20s or fulls. Nope, no. There's none of that stuff. There's no receivers or linemen. It's all on you, and that's, that's part of the beauty of the game. You know, between Roger Federer and Ralph and Nadal and, and, and Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams and Tiger Woods, the greats and the greats in these individual sports, my God, they're so mentally tough. It's just fascinating to watch. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. Waited for years. Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back, Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our guest is Steve Sands, uh, grew up in Washington, D.C., now part of the NBC Sports Group and the Golf Channel. And, of course, when when it's Masters Week, I mean, come on, Steve. I've been there, what, four or five times. It's a rush to see the grounds. My wife's first experience with a golf course was Augusta, and she turned to me and she said, is this where you go? You go to places like this when you play? I mean, yeah, they all look like <laughs> No problem. Is it still a rush to, to step on the grounds at Augusta and have that coverage for a week? You tell your better half. They all look exactly they like They all Augusta. look like that. <laughs> every, and every tournament is that well run, too. It's the exact yeah. same thing. You know, I, I can't lie, man. I'm, I'm 53 years old, and I've been going there forever. And I'm just a huge sports fan. Uh, and I love, love, love going to the Masters. Mm-hmm. I love going to Augusta National. Uh, it's a long week for us. Uh, we're on the air a lot. Um, it's an honor to be there. It's a thrill to be there. And if that ever goes away, uh, I think you're, you're, you're in the wrong business. I think mm-hmm. if, if you can't get excited putting headsets on and going to a place like Augusta or doing whatever sporting event you're doing in our business, it's time to get out. So, yeah, I, I love it. It's a thrill. Uh, now, when I leave, I perhaps leave with a little bit more energy than I used to because it's nice <laughs> to go home. Uh, but it, it's it's a magical place. Um, it's one of the great cathedrals in sports. Uh, and for my money, uh, I haven't been to every sporting event, but I've been very, very lucky in my career and in my life to go to, you know, just about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to a place in sports where the venue matters more than the event. 
Right. You know, I mean, everybody went to the summit to go watch Ralph play, you know, part of the Twin Towers, mm. but nobody's walking around the summit thinking, man, this is a great building. This is <laughs> right, 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 right. Or you hall. You go to you go to Augusta National, and whether you're doing it as a broadcaster or whether you're doing it as a fan, you go to see Augusta National. You know, the golf is almost, I, I promise you, it's almost inconsequential on the day you're there if you happen to go as a fan. Mm-hmm. You just want to walk around and see the place. And Augusta National has that kind of cachet. It still does, always will. And yeah, I'm honored to do it. And it's a thrill every time I go there. But do, do you think it's because, I mean, I know the, the, the greens and the facilities are great, but also the legends of golf have walked yeah. Augusta. I mean, it, I mean, it's like the Celtics, right? On their floor, you got the legend of Bill Russell's that played on the parquet court, which mm-hmm. was the Boston Garden, which is now a different arena. And that arena is gone. Augusta's not going anywhere. So <laughs> no, to me, it's like no. I can walk where greatness walked and it's, you know, and see it. But that would be my opinion. What, what do you think about that? Because yeah, I think no, that's I totally, part of it. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think that, you know, time moves forward. Uh, but at Augusta, Ralph, time stands still. Even okay. though they've made a lot of progress and a lot of changes uh, and they've done things through the years to improve the events to improve the golf course, to improve the fan experience, to improve all of that stuff. It's still Augusta National. And the thing that it has more than the others, first of all, it's it's the most elegant. It's the Wimbledon of golf. Wimbledon and, right. and, and, and the Masters are the same. There's an elegance to it. Uh, you know, the Open Championship uh, is the world's uh, championship, and it goes to different venues every year. Uh, this year it goes to St. Andrews, which is the only place in my money in golf uh, other than Pebble Beach and Augusta, where you can say, man, that is a completely different category. PGA Championship is great. They go to uh, different venues every year. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Open is fantastic. They go to different venues every year. For a sports fan, for a golf fan, the Masters the Masters draws in more sports fans than any other golf tournament because it's the Masters. It's the same course every year. You feel like you know every nook and cranny of the place because mm-hmm. we've been watching it our whole lives and it's this, it's the same. There's something sexy about just the same venue every year. Padraig Harrington once told me, and Padraig Harrington is a three-time major champion, was a Ryder Cup captain, is going to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. <coughs> Excuse me. He told me one time, I asked him, because it's the Masters and they go back to the same course every year, but there are only about 90 guys in the field and really only 30 of them can win mm-hmm, you know, right. each and every year. Is the Masters the easiest of the four majors to win? And pa- and Padraig laughed and said, no, no, it's the hardest. And I said, why? Why is that? You know the course so well. In other words, when you go to Brookline this summer for the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. most of these guys have never played Brookline. Right, never right. Seen it. The Masters, you go every year. I go, why, why wouldn't it be the easiest? Why is it the most difficult? Because, because it's the place where you see the most ghosts. Because yeah. you watch it every year. And yeah. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, I was a Seve Ballesteros guy. Seve was my guy. And I said, well, Seve won the green jacket twice. He goes, yeah, but when I stand on top of 15, all I think of him is duck cooking it in the water in 86 when Jack yeah. won. Yeah, yeah. He said, so when I stand there, I think of it. He goes, when I go to Royal Lytham in St. Anne's for the Open Championship, or I go to Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open, I don't think of anything. I, I just <laughs> play golf. He goes, at Augusta, there's less oxygen on the first tee at Augusta than any place on the planet. <laughs> and it's because you've seen it every year and it's your dream to get back there. And it's just a magical place. I, it's just, I don't know what they do there, but they've got something in the water there. It's, it's amazing. 
Well, I don't think Tiger's on 15 thinking about hitting it in the, in, in the water, right? I mean, he's probably trying to hit it in the thing. That's, and that's the difference between the mentality of what we talked about as well. But it's a great Tiger's analogy. Tiger's won five times. Tiger's won five times. Only five. Only five. Only five. He'll be okay. Uh, Steve, so I know you've been asked the question a thousand times. Uh, most memorable memory. Well, you know, what's the one memory that you cherish from being there that you saw, interview, talked to, witnessed, and it might not even be between the ropes? There've been some great moments. Um, I, I remember Mickelson winning for the first time in 04 thinking, man, this is first major for him. It had been forever. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible back nine with a duel with Ernie else, but there's nothing, nothing I think I've ever seen in my life in person, like Tigers win in 19. The comeback came out of, came out of nowhere. The place was, it was bedlam. I mean, it was so loud. Um, I, we said earlier, there's an elegance to um, the, 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 the atmosphere at Augusta National. That day, it was a rock concert. I don't want the, the time to get away without asking you about who you just talked to, Arnold Palmer. Of course, living in the Orlando area, like you have for a long time, and, and me, I got there in 2013, but to feel, feel the aura of, of going to Bay Hill, going to his tournament, even now today, I mean, it, Steve, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? There is nobody ever in your life, sports, fame, acting, a plumber, whoever it is, <laughs> you have never in your life met anybody like Arnold Palmer. I've never met anybody in my life like him. Nobody could make you feel any better talking to him. Nobody could ever make you feel more like an individual conversation that's happening. There's no looking over the shoulder. There's no better dealing you. There's no, Hey, I got to get out of here. It mm -hmm. is you and him. Every single time you were around Arnold Palmer, you felt, man, this guy is so famous. He's so great. And he's just so kind. And we had a rule at the golf. When I first got a job at the golf channel, we had a rule. He was, he, people think he was a co-founder. He had his name on it and he, you know, he, he put some money into it, but you know, he wasn't the business engine right. behind it. He was the face behind it and he he brought it to life. No doubt it doesn't exist without Arnold Palmer. There was a rule of the golf channel way back when, when he was still at, when he still had an office there and it was a big and he was, you know, doing great. You weren't allowed to ask him for an autograph. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to take a picture with him because it was it was not his rule. It was the golf channel's rule. Sure. He would take a picture and sign anything you wanted. He was the greatest guy in the world. So our three sons were born at the Arnold Palmer Hospital uh, in Orlando. And, you know, you get to know Arnie, you know, after a while, because, you know, what you do for a living, it was like, you know, one of the craziest things that ever happened to me in my life that you actually get to know Mr. Palmer legitimately like a friend, like someone you actually know. And my grandmother was turning 90. I forget what year it was, probably early 2000s, maybe. And she loved those bucket hats that Arnie used to wear, <laughs> like at Augusta. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get my grandmother a, a signed Arnie hat. But there's a rule that you're not allowed yeah. to get an autograph of Arnie. But you can maneuver around that, you know? Yeah, and sure. I, I went over to Bay Hill one day. He's up in his office, kind of hanging out, sweater over his shoulder, little vodka there on the table. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole, if you, if you caught Arnie before five o'clock, it was fantastic. 
after five o'clock, <laughs> got a little tricky. Like. But so I go over there and walk and I knock on the door. The door was always open, but you knock on the, on the door and go, hey, Mr. Palmer. Hey, Steve, come on down, sit down, you know, have a, have a drink. Let's relax. You're like, man, this is the craziest thing in the world. It's Arnold Palmer. And he was the nicest man in the world. And I said, to him, I go, hey, Arnie, does that rule still apply for anybody who works the Golf Channel about the no autograph or no picture thing? And Arnie's like, what rule? And he's like, snaps back. What rule? He goes, that's not a rule. I go, oh. And I thought to myself, uh-oh. I just stepped right. in it like he didn't know that. And he did not know that that was a rule. It was, it was more of a company thing to not bother right. Mr. Palmer, which is nice. And Arnie goes, I don't like that rule. He goes, what do you need? I go, well, I'm just curious. My grandma, just what do you need? I go, well, my grandmother, I couldn't spit it out. And I'm like, <laughs> He's like, he goes, he goes, damn it, Steve, just tell me what you need. And I go, I would love to give my grandmother who's turning 90 a signed bucket hat. He goes, of course, don't be silly. He goes, and that rule is so stupid. You want a picture or an autograph, you come and ask me anytime. I'm more than happy to do it. And I said, okay. So I go down to my car. I had the hat. Comes up. He signs it, takes a picture, writes a little thing to Lil, you know, to my grandmother, yeah. the whole thing. And he just, he always made you feel like you were the only guy in the room. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy Masters Week. We'll be watching and uh, just uh, we'll get together soon. Okay. Mike, I'm, I'm going to tune in on the golf channel so I can hear him commentate. I'm excited yeah. about that. I'm, I'm going to see him commentate. No, he's the lead dog. So, Steve, thank you so Not much. Not at all. I'm just a clown in the circus, fellas. It's good to <laughs> More of Center Court on the Winter Circle Network when we come back. Almost a turnover there and leaves McKim open the step. Discover the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. Approach it like it's a job. This is an assignment. You know, this is your words on a, a videotape or a radio. We're going to be able to listen to it and grade you. Hall of Fame broadcaster Dan Patrick. Anybody can make a big game sound big. Can you make something small sound bigger? That's the challenge. From play-by-play -play to producing to anchoring. We have your invitation. You should be learning now. You should be progressing. You should be a finished product, at least to the best of your ability, by the time you graduated. We want you already midway, if not all the way through that. So when you come out, you're ready to go and ready to get a job. The Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting is located at Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida. It's time for you to discover your next journey. listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. It is Center Court. This is the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald and he is Ralph Sampson. Did you get the feeling, Ralph, that Steve takes on a lot of Arnold Palmer's persona? Did, you know, after when he tells the Arnold Palmer story about the meeting with him and the respect he had for Arnold, you get the feeling that Steve Sands took on a lot of that persona. I mean, he was, it, it didn't change him. He's always been a terrific guy, but I get the feeling he took on Mr. Palmer's persona a little bit. Well, I feel like he said that if Arnold can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, he, if this man can do that and be nice to everybody, take pictures and have him in his office, et cetera, that, wow, that's pretty amazing that Arnold Palmer can do it because everybody thinks athletes, entertainers, or people of that stature, right? are kind of in their own shell and they do their own thing and they don't want to be bothered by people. And I think Steve just said, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. And the amazing thing about, you know, make sure you 
write your autograph legibly mm. so people can know who you are. So that that's, I mean, those type of stories are once in a lifetime. You know, and I've always included you in this, and, and I'm not just saying this, but when people have asked me your lifetime in sports, you know, who have you met, who have you interviewed, who have you been around? And I said, look, in my lifetime, I've been lucky enough to be around and meet Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Ralph Sampson, and Tim Duncan, and throwing right, Duncan. Right, so right. those five, I, I can pass away tomorrow and say, wow, at least I got to be a part or get to know these people through the media aspect. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been fun. I mean, I, you know, I, people like you, Mac, and Doug Elgin, and Coach Holland, Coach Laranega, Coach Odom, uh, that when I came into Charlottesville, I was shy and quiet. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I didn't know how to handle all that. And then I had a good team around Todd Turner, et cetera, that were there to help me grow as a young man from my freshman year to my sophomore year. And then I go back to my parents and understand, you know, and my high school coach, and we would have those conversations, but every little piece of the way I took stuff with me and try to grow, you know, as a young man at that point in time. And it's always respected being from Harrisonburg and be nice to people. And that's the way I grew up. So it just transitioned there. And yet I do it today. I mean, I'm in the restaurant and people come up and, you know, I'm getting reviews now, like, why is he here? taking out the trash <laughs> or he didn't have to do that. So they'll rush over and let me, let me do that. Or, you know, there'll be something on the floor out front and I'm like, you know, this is the way I am. And I, but I wanted to be representation of, you know, um, uh, you know, I tell people this, not Ralph Sampson's American tap house. It's Ralph Sampson senior's American tap house. Cause you know, he taught me what I know. So uh, I, I, I just do what I've been taught. No, that's terrific. I can see that in you. So anyway, glad the restaurant's doing well. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. We hope you have a good week. Enjoy the Masters. And this is Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.